Chapter Five, Part Three of the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume Ten, Ingersoll's Address to the Jury in the Davis Will Case. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Part Three. Another improbability john a davis the proponent had charge of the davis farm down in iowa and stayed there for six years after this alleged will was made and although he was acquainted with the quigleys the henshaws the sconces and all the aristocracy of the neighborhood he says he never heard of the existence of this will which so many people of that section talked about what a place for keeping secrets senator sanders says that the reason judge davis made his will in salt creek township was because in that township they knew about this woman or these women and these children and he didn't want to go into any other community and make his will any need of publishing his will any need of reading any more than the attesting clause to the attesting witnesses any need to divulge a line none ah but senator sanders says that he wanted to keep the secret that is the reason he left the will upon that table and rode away in a debonair kind of style on his roan horse with the bobtail leaving a congregation of salt creek loafers to read his will he wanted to keep it secret hoped that it would never get out imagine the scene job davis writing the will Mrs. Downey with a duster tucked under her arm like a subrette in a theater. Well, when he was writing the will, she was looking over his shoulder and read the will as fast as he wrote it. That makes me think of the fellow who was writing a letter, and there was a man looking over his shoulder, so he said, I would write more, but there is a dirty dog looking over my shoulder. And the fellow said, You are a liar. Everybody read it. Mrs. Downey read it she read it as job wrote it then he read it aloud and then he went and got sconce and read it again then in comes glasgow and he read it i think mrs downey must have read this will ten or twelve times mr myers remarks she said twenty-five mr ingersoll replies oh yes twenty-five because it was in job's handwriting and whenever the twilight crept around the farm bringing a little sadness a little pathetic feeling she would light a candle and hunt the will and read it just to think about job she would see the words give and whether and all that brought back job and she used to wonder whether he was in paradise or not now john a lived down there and knew all these people and he never heard of that will what do you think of that why is it that john never got any information from sconce sconce who saw the will written and who was one of the attesting witnesses why didn't he hear of it from old downey why didn't he hear of it from the quigleys or the dotsons why didn't he hear of it in salt creek township when it was seen and read and read and read again until i think many of them knew it by heart and yet the only person really interested was walking around unconscious of his great good fortune and nobody ever told him there is another thing for four months after andrew j davis died nobody told john about the will nearly four months passed away 
i think andrew died on the eleventh of march eighteen ninety and this will came to john on the first day of july all the neighbors knew it just as soon as a j died they all said john is coming right into the fortune now only nobody told john and the first man we find with the will is james r eddy and the next man we find with the will is john a davis the proponent when john a davis saw this will leaving him four or five million dollars it did not take much to convince him that the signature was genuine human nature is made that way if it was leaving four or five millions to either of us including this sinner who addresses you the probability is that i would say well that looks pretty genuine pretty genuine and then if i could get a few other fellows to swear that it was i would feel certain and say that is my money now another improbability all the evidence shows that judge davis was a businesslike quiet methodical careful suspicious man secretive keeping his business to himself keeper of his own counsels and when he did make a will it was sealed it was given to one of his friends and put away and to keep it did not become the common property of the neighborhood he did not mount his roan horse and ask the people of the community to look at it he was a methodical business-like man and i suppose many of you gentlemen of the jury knew him and i shall rely somewhat on your knowledge of a j davis for you to say whether he made this will whether in eighteen sixty six he left his old father naked to the world whether he cared nothing for brothers and sisters whether he cared nothing for the children of the sister that raised him i leave it for you to say you probably know something about this matter andrew j davis when he was a child when all the children were gathered around the same knee the children that had been nourished at the same tender and holy breast he would not have done this then if some good fortune came to one it was divided how beautiful the generosity the hospitality of childhood but as they grow old there comes the love of gold and the love of gold seems to have the same effect upon the heart that it does upon the country where it is found all the roses fade the beautiful green trees lose their leaves and there is nothing in the heart but sagebrush and so it is with the land that holds within the miserly grip of rocks what we call the precious metals the next question in this case is the night will was any such will made and i say here to-day knowing what i am saying i never saw upon the witness stand a man who appeared to be more candid more anxious and desirous of telling the exact truth than e w knight and from what i have heard there is not a man in montana with a better reputation he has no interest in this business not one penny and it was months and months after the death of judge davis that we knew such a will ever existed that is on our side either mr knight was telling what he believed to be true or he was perjuring himself no ifs and ands about it he is a man of intelligence and knows what he is saying he swears that a j davis made a will and what else does he swear to that there was also the draft of a will which gave away the mine or provided for its working and then at the end of that draft provided that the rest of the property should be divided in accordance with the statute 
thereupon mr knight told him quote, your heirs would interfere by injunction and you had better bequeath your whole property and fix the amount to be expended in the development of the mine End quote. thereupon a j davis made another will and that will was signed now mr knight knows whether it was signed or not the will was signed or mr knight committed perjury knowingly willfully and corruptly what does he say that it was signed what else that it was attested then these gentlemen came forward with mr talbot who says that knight said that when davis came to the bank to get the will he thought he was going to execute it that is the idea being it was not signed what was it attested for if it was not signed that is absurd to the verge of idiocy but they say that mr knight is not corroborated let us see he says that andrew j davis made a will mr keith swears that a j davis made a will knight says that davis went out and brought keith in and keith swears that he lived next door and a j davis did come in there and get him and he knows the time on account of the sickness of his child corroboration number two knight swears that davis then went for another man keith says that he did go and get caleb irvine corroboration number three knight said one of the men who signed the will was in his working clothes corroboration number four knight swears that davis read the attesting clause keith swears the same keith swears that davis signed it that he signed it and then irvine signed it what more he swears that knight wrote it and he was writing it when he went in and yet they have and i will use an expression of one of the learned counsel the audacity to say that mr knight has not been corroborated and they would have you believe that knight took that will over to helena and put it in the safe when it was not signed by a j davis and they would make you think besides that that it was attested by two witnesses and that two witnesses had to say that they saw a j davis sign it that he signed it in their presence and that they attested his signature in his presence and in the presence of each other they proved a little too much gentlemen they proved that by talbot they proved that by andrew j davis jr who expects to fall heir to all that is taken and they proved it also by john a davis the proponent now we have a recess may it please the court and gentlemen when we adjourned i was talking about the testimony of mr knight and the making of the knight will the evidence is the way that will came to be made or what started it is as follows a j davis borrowed of the first national bank of helena forty thousand dollars to put in the mines and governor hauser remarked when he got the money quote, another old man going to fool with mines until he gets broke End quote. and that it seems piqued a j davis touched his vanity a little and then he said that mine shall be developed whether i live or die i am satisfied that it is a good mine and i am going to make a will and i am going to provide in that will for the mine to be developed End quote. and thereupon he talked with mr knight and finally knight drew up a draft of a will according to his testimony providing for the working of that mine and what did davis say when he got through with it quote, 
now as to the balance of the property let it be divided according to law that makes a good will that is what he said then mr knight said to him if you make the will that way it may be that the heirs will come in and enjoin the working of the mine on the ground that it is a waste of money you had better make a full will and dispose of all your property as you may desire and fix the amount to be used in the development of that mine now this is either true or false it is true if mr knight can be believed and he can be believed if any gentleman can be trusted what more knight says that a j davis made the memoranda from which to draw that will had his manager come and in that will it told how the shafts should be run how much work should be done and charged his trustees to do development work up to a certain amount is that all born of the fancy of this gentleman and can you believe that a man like mr knight who has run the largest bank in montana for twenty-five years can you believe that such a man who is not in any necessity who is not in need of money comes here and swears to what he knows to be a lie and makes this all out of his own head carves it out of his imagination the second will was made the second will was signed the second will was attested the second will was given mr knight to keep they say it was not signed and yet mr knight swears he told one man about it he told mr kleinschmidt so that if anything happened to him knight he would know that knight had in that vault the will of andrew j davis do you think he would have done that if the will had not been signed if it were worth only waste paper and yet they are driven to that absurdity for the purpose of attacking the evidence of this man it will not do judge knoll said in that conversation at garrison he said that in the will the mine was left to irwin davis and the reason given for it was that irwin davis was a business man now the only way that can be explained is one of two ways one is that judge knowles has gotten two matters mixed the other is that he is absolutely mistaken judge knowles the president of the first national bank of butte judge knowles who has been the attorney of andrew j davis jr judge knowles had this conversation or some conversation with knight and why would knight have taken pains to tell him a deliberate falsehood there is something more after all this occurred andrew j davis jr went to mr knight and asked him to write out what he remembered about that will and knight dictated it on the spot and sent it to him where is that letter here it is i want to read that letter to this jury that was a letter written long ago a letter written before this will was filed in this court a letter written before mr knight knew that a j davis jr had any will a letter written before knight imagined there could ever be a lawsuit on the subject andrew j davis jr went to him and asked him to write out what he knew about that will and knight turned according to his own testimony and dictated it and sent it to a j davis jr like a frank candid honest man and before i get through i will read that letter and when it is read i want you to see how it harmonizes absolutely and perfectly with his testimony here on the stand i will draw another distinction mr knight gave two depositions in this case 
these depositions have not been suppressed like the deposition taken of sconce not suppressed why because we are willing that the jury should read the two depositions and hear his testimony besides and there is not the slightest contradiction in the depositions themselves or between the depositions or either one of them and his evidence that he gave here except too that they claim and think what immense contradictions they are in one deposition he says that a j davis left some bequests to some aunts mr knight swears on the stand that he never said aunts he said sisters but if he did say aunts he meant sisters because he never heard of his having any aunts and yet that is held up as a contradiction and to such an extent that you are to throw away the testimony of this man now here is the letter this will was filed july twenty fourth eighteen ninety and when he wrote this letter he did not know that a j davis jr knew of a will or that john a davis knew of a will and this is what he writes helena montana july twenty second eighteen ninety i beg to say that some time in eighteen seventy seven or eighteen seventy eight i made a draft of a will for your uncle andrew j davis which he duly executed and left the same on file with me as a special deposit for two or three years when the same was cancelled and destroyed when i was led to believe and to conclude that he had made and executed a will to supersede and take the place of that ingersoll interjects that explains talbot's testimony instead of saying to talbot that a j davis came there as he thought to execute the will and destroyed that will it not being signed what he said was that he destroyed the will but from the way he acted he thought that mr davis was going to make another that he was going to execute a will and this is exactly what mr talbot said to execute a will and it took a redirect examination to swap the a for the back to knight's letter i cannot satisfactorily recall the considerations and provisions of said will drawn by me but the main burden and desire was that the work on the mine known as the lexington should be continued to a certain amount of development and that the mill should be carried on under a certain management and after providing for the payment of his just debts he made certain bequests naming certain nephews and nieces running from ten thousand to fifteen thousand dollars each and you are especially named for the sum of twenty five thousand dollars and if the estate exceeded in value the net sum of five hundred thousand dollars then those bequests were to be increased and if in excess of one million dollars the further increase was named and specified that is the letter that mr knight wrote before he ever knew that there would be this suit before he knew of the existence of this will a certain boy named jefferson claimed to be his son was given the sum of twenty thousand dollars to be paid to him in yearly sums of five thousand dollars for four years and the same provision to a certain girl claimed to be his child is that not exactly what he swore to on this stand back to knight's letter certain executors named e w knight s t hauser and w w dixon each to receive the sum of ten thousand dollars for services yours truly e w knight now gentlemen they were informed of the existence of that will and of its destruction and were so informed before john a davis filed this will 
and when we pleaded this will john a davis pleaded that it had been republished and yet no evidence was given in of any republication they knew that under the statute of montana when a man makes will number one and afterwards makes will number two and afterwards destroys will number two that will number one is not revived that the making of the second will kills the first and the destruction of the second kills that and leaves the man intestate and without any will now there is the letter of mr knight full free frank candid honorable like the man himself he says there that he does not remember all the provisions but he does remember that he provided for some nieces and nephews and provided for andrew j davis jr twenty five thousand dollars for one jefferson twenty thousand for the girl about the same and that he provided also for the executors of the will and appointed knight hauser and dixon as his executors that is exactly what he says here now was that will made have they impeached mr keith i tell them now that they cannot impeach him he has sworn to the making of that will apart and separate from mr knight oh they say why didn't they bring knight in and prove by him that he then recollected mr keith what has that to do with it mr keith recollected mr knight swore that knight wrote the will and that knight was writing it when he came in and swore that he attested it that davis signed it and irvine also signed it what more do we want on that will i say gentlemen that the will of eighteen eighty ends this case there is not ingenuity enough in the world to get around it and there never was and never will be enough brains crammed into one head to dodge it that will was made and every man on the jury knows it that will was executed by andrew j davis every man of you knows it and the will was afterwards destroyed now the question is did that second will revoke the first will had it a revoking clause in it e w knight swears it had and he swears that he copied it from a will made by an uncle of his named john knight and he had that will in his possession here and in that will there are two revocation clauses and knight swears that he copied those clauses and right here it may be well enough to make another remark when he read the will to a j davis and the passage hereby revoking all wills davis said quote, there is no need of putting that in i never made any other will this is the first knight said to him well that is the way that is the form and i think it is safer to have it that way and davis said all right let it go how do you fix that there is no way out of it that the will was made in eighteen eighty revoking all former wills what else the conditions of the will of eighteen eighty with regard to working the mine with regard to bequests to nephews with regard to bequests to others with regard to the twenty thousand dollars given to jeff davis and the twenty thousand dollars given to the girl these provisions are absolutely inconsistent with the provisions of this will of eighteen sixty six so on both grounds the will of eighteen eighty destroys cancels and forever renders null and void the will of eighteen sixty six even if it had been the genuine will of a j davis and the court will instruct you to that effect 
and after mr keith had testified the proponents in this case subpoenaed mr knight and if they thought that knight would swear that keith was not the man why did they not put him on the stand they ran no risk he is an honest man he would tell the truth i never had the slightest fear in bringing an honest man on the stand never i want facts and i hope as long as i live that i shall never win a case that i ought not win on the facts no man should wish or endeavor to win a case that he knows is wrong i say there is not a man on this jury but believes in his heart and soul this minute that this will was made you have to throw aside the testimony of the perfectly good man and no matter whether what he said about erwin davis to judge knowles was true or not and i must say that i never saw a witness on the stand in my life more eager to tell his story than judge knowles was never he was bound to get it in or die he answered questions over objections before the court was allowed to pass on the objections why because he is the president of the first national bank now without saying that he was dishonest about it i say he was mistaken knight never said one word of that kind to him it was impossible that he could have said it so is mr talbot mistaken so is andrew j davis jr mistaken and so is john a davis mistaken think of the idiotic idea that a will not signed was given to knight to keep attested by two witnesses and not signed by the testator idiotic now as i understand it gentlemen you'll have to find that that will was made this ends chapter five part three of four